air. <laughs> we are out of the solar system now. Mm. No air, no atmosphere. So you f will fall, you shall fall like a stone mm. forever. Welcome to the Swamp Flicks Podcast. My name is Brandon Lede. And I'm Cece Chapman. I didn't say an episode number at the top of this like I usually do. We are, you know, as always, recording in New Orleans, Louisiana. And this is always Swamp Flicks, the movie review website from that city. And this is a new format for the show that we're trying out. Uh, Cece and I are going to try to put in these quick weekly shows in the weeks where we don't normally post like a full episode. Yeah, just like a quick, what you watching? Yeah, because you and I go to the theater together a lot. Mm -hmm. At least once a week, maybe twice three or three times. times. Yeah, and I don't always get to you know, report on everything we get to see in the theater. And then it'll get like a month out and it's like, oh, I never got to talk about the beach bum or something, you know, and things sort of slip through the cracks. And usually the podcasts are so long, we, you know, pick what we're going to talk about with each other weeks and weeks, if not months ahead of time. So there's not, it's not a great format for discussing like what's in theaters now. And we feel like, you know, it's really important to point out like the current new stuff that you need to go see. If you're, you know, always complaining that the only movies out in theaters are Disney superhero films movies, or superhero movies or remakes. sequels. Um, that we needed to just, you know, give a quick shout out to, hey, there's there's weird stuff at the AMC, actually. And last time you were on the show that was just you and me, we mm -hmm. talked about French movies. I mean, mm -hmm. you've been on since to talk with me and Brittany, but the last episode was just you and me and the hosting. It was like, uh, we watched one Claire Denis film, we watched three French dramas from the uh, 1940s. Mm-hmm. And today, the movies we've been seeing in the theater in the past few weeks actually, like, lines up with that, like, oddly yes. well. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> so, like, I don't know. This is going to be a good, like, overlap, mm -hmm. uh, continuing things we've already been talking about anyway. Yeah. First and foremost, the last film we talked for a movie of the minute was Claire Denis' Trouble Every Day. Mm -hmm. And Claire Denis has a new film in the theater. <gasps> what? Called High Life. And it was the last movie you and I saw on the big screen. Mm -hmm. And yeah. what did you think of High Life? Oh, man. So Claire Denis is a difficult director for me because Trouble Every Day, I like. But like at the same time, when I tell other people about that film, they go, oh, fuck, I hate Trouble Every Day. That's like the worst fucking Claire Denis film. And it's honestly one of the worst films I've ever seen in my life. And I'm just like, I also see that as well. Uh, so High Life was a little bit purposely difficult. I think this was Claire Denis' first 100% English language film. Um, I think Trouble Every Day was the closest to it because that was like yeah. half English, half French. Yeah, one of the characters only spoke English, but the rest of the characters were either French speakers or bilingual. And so this was the first film she was making specifically for like an English-speaking audience. And I feel like she specifically or purposely put in things that she knew would upset us Americans more than it would upset other people. Baby nudity. Yeah, there's there's female baby nudity with like a long lingering shot on just the lower half of a baby. Just because they know that we're like, no, you can't show the lower half of babies. That's wrong. And like other countries are like, they're babies. Why would you think that's wrong? I don't remember any erect dicks, but there is like on-screen semen several times throughout the film. Yeah, a lot of squatting and pushing semen out of one's, like, <laughs> orifices. Which is a very specific part of, like, PIV sex that people don't usually show on the screen is, like, the uh, gushing that comes after the fact. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no. As someone with a vagina, yes. That's a thing that happens. 
But okay, I will say we've only seen two Claire Denis films, and I do think these two films line up specifically well. Trouble Every Day and High Life are both these horror type films that are like very disgusted and fascinated with human bodily fluids. Uh, more so in Trouble Every Day, it is blood, mm-hmm. and more so in High Life, it is semen. One film is set, you know, in Paris, and that is Trouble Every Day. And the other one is set in outer space, and that would be High Life. And both of these films have a rather unusual narrative style. Trouble Every Day is a relatively straightforward narrative, but there's a huge backstory, and you just don't get to know it. You don't need to know it. You don't get to know it. You don't know how any of the events in the film got set off. You're just dropped in essentially five years after the origin event happened and now it's somebody trying to like fix something that happened in the past but you don't get to know any of the context for the past events really except for a handful of conversations between people where someone's like trying to get information out of someone they're like yeah yeah remember that thing that happened five years ago Uh uh-huh yes that and high life starts off more or less halfway through the timeline of the film Uh, And then jumps back to the past and then jumps forward into the future. And there's no clean breaks. There's no way to tell if you're in the past, the present, or the future. You just get dropped in. And so there are a couple scenes that are a little confusing because of that. You don't know, like, you see a character and you're like, wait, is that a new character? Is that someone I've seen before? Just older now? Then, you know, it starts to become more apparent, like, as it goes on. But I think that nonlinear, like, narrative style or, like, that purposeful obtuseness is like kind of like the hallmark it's very of french it's very french <laughs> <laughs> but it's also very apt for a film that's about space travel because mm-hmm. um, a lot of the films like narrative is about how time passes it's one of those like interstellar type stories where like time is passing differently on this like spaceship that's hurtling through space They're going at 99% the speed of light. So everyone on Earth is aging normally. But for them, essentially, they're not aging like we are. If they came back to Earth hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Everyone they know would be dead generations ago. And they're getting these... The only thing that's like tethering them to Earth is these transmissions of uh, like past films and like news reports that they have no idea whether or not they're current or if they were programmed ahead of time to make it seem like everything's going normal back on earth and the reason they can't trust that they're being kept up to speed is because they're all prisoners and basically it's just like almost trash can type vehicle hurtling through space and they're all part of this like science experiment um that's basically testing out what insemination would be like in the vastness of space and with intense amounts of radiation that comes through that kind of space travel and they're sort of hurtling towards this black hole well, and I don't even think that was the actual experiment. I think the person who was like more or less kind of on the left side in charge was the ship's doctor. Uh, and she only became in charge after the captain died because the captain died early. And everyone, including the captain and the doctor, were all prisoners for some awful crime they did. And the pilot. <laughs> yeah. Like every single person who was important for this experiment was a condemned prisoner. Um, and I think that was just her obsession was reproduction and trying to make a perfect baby because their actual mission was something much more dangerous it seems like they were dispersed to explore black holes yeah and like what happens to 
people when they travel through a black hole. Well, they were hoping to harness energy from them. They were hoping to go around the edge of it and then return. Because if we were able to harness the energy of a black hole, theoretically, I guess more or less in the movie, they thought that Earth would then have unlimited resources and power. But we never really know any more about exactly what their plan was, because Claire Denis does not care <laughs> about any of the science fiction in her science fiction film. A lot of the scenes that are set out in space, it's just a person in a black like void. Yeah, it's kind of odd. She like does not care about the weightlessness. She doesn't care about the mechanics of it. All she cares about is the interpersonal situation that would happen if you were in that situation. So she doesn't bother with CG, really. She doesn't really bother with weightlessness. Sometimes she shows stars when they're outside. Sometimes she doesn't. Yeah, it's the the majesty of like staring up at the heavens is sort of taken out of the picture and space is just this black void of nothing. I don't know if it's like scientifically true, but it's like more true in a sense that like once you're out there you're just like in this vast blackness and there's just yeah. nowhere to go and nothing to see there's a scene where a character is opening a, a hatch and dropping things through it and they don't get sucked out violently they don't float out they're just pushing these things out one at a time and they're just falling it might as well be like a hotel balcony or something yeah yeah, yeah. they could have just been opening an elevator door or something for all the like dramatic effect of it like it was yeah it was and all, nothing <laughs> all the purpose of the uh experiment and the imprisonment that all these like doomed characters are stuck in doesn't really matter as much as like the confinement and the loneliness of being out in space yeah and, and knowing you can never go back and a lot of that loneliness is like you were saying the scientist in charge of everything would be julia pinoche mm-hmm. with this very long weave that she's <laughs> oh my god it is, it is honestly the longest weave i've ever been asked to believe is true and like real hair it's very long. any other time i've seen hair that long we all understand it is in fact not real and she's kind of playing this, like, mad scientist character in, like, a traditional, like, sci-fi horror sense. I feel like a lot of the roles were gender-swapped. Oh, yeah, for sure. I never saw the film Room, mm. but I felt like Robert Pattinson's character and his relationship with his child was kind of like that, even though, again, I have not seen it. And I would say that's the other half of the binary. Like, Julia Pinoche is very much in charge of, like, one half of the picture in one timeline. And uh, the other half of the picture, Robert Pattinson is alone with this baby and like raising it by himself on the ship. And a lot of the mystery of the film is trying to reconcile how those two timelines match up with each other. I've heard Claire Denis in interviews recently. I was trying to listen to like her talk about the film and basically Robert Pattinson was joking like, I never understand what your movies are actually about. And she says, that's okay. I don't really get it either. Um, (laughs) I guess sort of what she's reaching for is like, there's no way to put it in words because the cinema is the language. Mm -hmm. And like to like explain it in dialogue would never be right. Which, you know, very highfalutin art film explanation for making a sci-fi horror film set in space. Very French. Yeah, a little pretentious. Uh But I also agree. Like I like both films I saw from her. And I could not explain what they were about in, like, a very cheeky, you know, concise kind of way. Yeah, no, I can tell you, like, plot points, and I can kind of describe it and summarize it, but I could not tell you, like, if there were theoretical underpinnings. I can't say that, oh, this is a film about the relationships between men and women, and she was 
trying to explore like the subtext between like familial relationship i could not tell you that really like i can kind of get like some themes from it but i could not tell you exactly like if there's a thesis statement yeah there's like a fascination with the human body and like fluids the same way the trouble every day is like fascinated with blood and just how we're just like these flesh bags and she was equated like blood and or uh sex and violence very heavily in trouble every day whereas here like it's more like sexual fluids yeah it's sexual fluids and she's not equating sex with violence um even though the sex may or may not be violent in this it's it, it is much more of a film about genesis i guess yeah and i picture this like larger theme about how like earth is just this hurtling trash box that we're all (laughs) living in and like uh there's no hope for the future but uh we still find ways to be hopeful anyway but these are all very vague themes yeah the ship is sure earth and microcosm robert pattinson's relationship to his baby is you know every family's relationship yeah imagine having a child right now in a world where like we're not sure if the earth is going to exist in 50 years. No, no shade, no judgment to anyone who has made that choice or, you know, like has kids. Shit happens. (laughs) Whoa, Brandon, don't don't tell people their kids are shit. I mean. People do it on purpose too. Yeah, people have kids. Like, you know, people have kids on purpose. People have kids, you know, and it's, you know, an accident. Like, no judgment how you have kids if you have kids. But no, like, personally, I feel kind of hopeless about the future of this moment, so... I would not feel comfortable having a kid right now. I'd feel too much guilt about it. It's at least something you should think about. And I feel like the movie's wrestling with that concept of like, what is the like ethical quandary of like having a child on this like doomed ship where everyone's like kind of... Yeah, they're never going back there's to There's no future. They will run out of food at some point. Like they are growing their own food. They have a way to do that. They're, you know, harvesting their water. Somehow they avoid my oxygen. I mean, they have a lot of plants. But, like, yeah, what's the point? It's just the two of them. They're just going to... He's going to die someday, and she will be by herself. Yeah. There is never going to be another human. Why did he do that? Why did he have a kid? Okay, so, like, I felt like I was a little more enthusiastic about Trouble Every Day than you were. And I liked this movie about the same. Like, I think they're both, like, four-star creepy art house horror films i don't know if you felt like high life was like slightly better or i like high went. life slightly better i suppose just because there's some really beautiful set pieces again you don't know what the set pieces are about but they are very pretty like andre benjamin uh from outcast plays a part in this he doesn't have a big role he's like the only sane person on the entire ship everyone else is slightly unhinged either because they're a violent criminal or they were traumatized or because they're a mad scientist. But he's just like, yeah, I did a crime and this is the only way I thought I could fix things with my wife and my kid. I only want to hang out in the garden. I do not want to hang out in the ship with everybody else. I'm just going to jerk off in a cup when the mad scientist asked me to so I can get some like drugs and I'm just going to sit in this garden and then eventually uh, I will um, turn into a ghost, (laughs) I guess and become one with the plants and like didn't really understand any metaphors about what that character meant but i thought it was really pretty i love hearing his voice like yes if more people could cast him like imagine him in like a barry jenkins film or something Mm -hmm. like just looking at him and hearing him talk is so pleasurable yeah no exactly like i don't i don't know what the point of his character was but i'm really glad he was in it yeah so you, you liked High Life? Yeah, I liked High Life. I just, I guess I need more time to digest it, maybe? 
I like going on the record because I know Boomer is about to file a negative review of the film in the next few days. So I want to say that we're both like pro this movie. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think it's you know surprising that anyone would not like it because it's mm. such a over the top like pretentious art film. Like you said, when I when I mentioned like Trouble Every Day, people are like, I fucking hated that movie <laughs> with like such passion. I'm just like, oh, okay, yeah, okay, I get that too. I get that too. So yeah, no, I'm fine going on the record being like, I like this one. It's good. Well, last time we talked about Claire Denis and we also talked about Jacques Tati, <gasps> another French staple. Claire Denis and Jacques Tati. And since then, recently we saw on the big screen of the Britannia, they had a screening of Jour de Fête, which is the big day or the festive day. Yeah, the day of the festival, the day of the party. It is Jacques Tati's directorial debut. Mm-hmm. You and I were there, Mm -hmm. and about four other people were also there. (laughs) So there was a a small French film festival for children, and a couple of their films got programmed here in New Orleans. It's like a national or international festival. I had never heard of it before. Me neither. Apparently there's screenings kind of all around the same time, all across the country or all across the world, of specific films that were in their lineup. This was one of them. It screened here in New Orleans. The festival organizer. The festival organizer is Young Son, who is about like eight or nine. He got some of the biggest laughs out of the movie, too. He did. Yeah. And like maybe three other people in us were yeah. there. So almost no advertising for it, which was so sad because um, he really wanted other kids to be there. You could tell that the festival organizer's son, like this was a big deal for him personally. He had a lot riding on this festival and no other children showed up except him. Yeah. I'm glad we went, Mm because the last time we saw Jacques Tati, I believe that was our first exposure to him, outside of, like, clips of, like, his famous gags. Yeah, I've watched a couple, like, Mon Uncle-type things, like, just to, like, get to know who he was. But the full feature we saw was him and Sylvie and the Phantom, Mm -hmm. which is him playing this, like, romantic ghost. Uh, And we had, you know, we had some good laughs at, like, Puppy Ghost was this uh, puppy that followed around. Puppy Ghost. And Sylvie was a good movie, too. Yeah, I like Sylvie a lot. But it's not very typical to what he ended up doing as a career. No. And this was, like, the start of his career, which was, like, a revival of the slapstick comedy of, like, Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin and, you know, Lower Brow, maybe Three Stooges. Like, that kind of, like staging a physical comedy in like a traditional farce kind of sense. Jour de Fête is about him playing a mailman in central France in this like very small commune that a most... commune. That's how it was listed on, on their Wikipedia for that village because it's so small and it's about like a communal farm. Most of the um, extras and bit parts were played by members of the community. I would just call that a village, but... I guess maybe they don't have the official accreditation because there's like so few, it's such a small population. Do you want to try to pronounce the town's name for me? Because I cannot do this. Saint-Sèvres-sur-Indre. Saint-Sèvres-sur-Indre. So it means like Saint on Indre. So that would probably be the name of a river. It's a very small town in central France. And right now they have a population of like 800 something. So that's a decent number of people. Yeah. It's it's smaller than most cities though. Oh yeah. Uh, and a lot of the you know charm of the film besides like Tati's physical humor is just watching these like faces of these extras and these like bit players that you normally wouldn't see on the big screen in the film tati plays a mailman mm-hmm. and the sort of premise of the movie is he does his normal route on his bicycle delivering mail and he is overwhelmed because this you know circus comes through town this like traveling carnival and it brings an influx of like business 
and there's more letters to mail than normal and he gets you know frayed and like overwhelmed that's not really what happens though like that's like on the paper premise no, what really yeah. happens is that this guy wants to be good at his job but he is a nerd and he is so into his job that other people cannot help and make fun of him mm-hmm. and it's both the community that he normally sees every day and the out-of-towner carnival folk join together to troll this mailman. Yes. That's the plot. <laughs> they feed him so much false information. They're like, oh, yeah, so, uh, you know, mailmen in America, they parachute into their mailing jobs. You should try that. Oh, hey, we know a new bicycling technique that'll, like, really get you, like, to be way more efficient. And just, like, all this bullshit... It makes sense that the carnies are like, look at this nerd. Everyone else has stopped working to give us their money and enjoy themselves. But this nerd won't stop working and won't give us his money. But then like all the people who know him are like, yeah, he is like such a nerd. All the rest of us take like a month off for vacation and he never does. Yeah, everyone's like partying and letting loose and sort of everything's stopping for a couple days to accommodate for this festival. Yeah, it's only going to happen once a year. The mayor spent a year planning it. It was a big deal. And he, he has the nerve to continue to do his job well in the midst of it. And they just mercilessly troll him for it. He makes all the rest of them look bad. How do they troll him? They allow goats to eat his mail and uh-huh. laugh at him when that happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, they get him blackout drunk. Oh, yeah. So drunk. Like, they trick him into drinking shots. Like, they're like, oh, we're all going to take a shot together. And they just slam the glass on the table to make it sound like they all drank it. And then he's drank, like, six times as much as everyone else in the room. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> You know, like you said, the most inspired gag in the film is they show him this uh, film reel from America that's supposedly like a documentary about how these like buff, sexy mailmen daredevils from America are like parachuting like shirtless into like male situations. Uh, and for the male rest, male situations, yeah, yeah like uh, high risk uh, mail delivery Ooh, scenarios. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And for the remainder of the film, he like bikes twice as fast as he uh, normally would through the village to deliver the mail. And just uh, anytime he inconveniences someone by his like hastiness, he just shouts American style <laughs> and like, bikes off. And this documentary was honestly my favorite part. Oh, it's the most inspired gag it's in the film. It's so beautiful because the documentary itself is shots of daredevils, like Evil Knievel style, uh, jumping motorcycles through like hoops of fire. Then there's a bodybuilder like beauty contest where there's bodybuilders just oiled up posing. And all the while, they're wearing, like, mailbags and hats. So they're like, yes, these are mailmen. It's like, no, they are men who are male. I think you just, like, don't know the difference between male and male because we have the same word in English, but French they don't, and they just, like, couldn't translate that correctly because those were just a bunch of men-men, not mailmen. From what I could tell, I feel like most villagers got that it was kind of a winking joke, and they knew that he did it, and he was taking it literally, so they were sort of ragging him for the rest of the film. It's, it's hard to put into words because you see most things through his eyes and mm-hmm. you watch him deliver mail through these like increasingly over-the-top like farce scenarios. But it feels like everyone else is like, oh, wow, you're really falling behind. Those Americans are really getting ahead of you. Like They were like sort of in on uh, the fantasy and the jokiness of the movie they were watching where they knew that he would take it like 100% literally. Or they like felt slightly scornful 
of like how seriously the Americans were taking their like mail service. Yeah. Because they're like, oh yeah, no, like you're getting beat by those boys in America. <laughs> oh, maybe you should go over to America. Oh, but you couldn't cut it over there in America. Because they're all evil Knievel like bodybuilder. <laughs> yeah. And like, you know, the French just want a good life, you know? Yeah, they want to stop and have a sniffer of wine in the middle of the day. Yeah. No, fair enough. Uh, what do you think... Jacques Tati, just based on this one film we've seen of his like slapstick comedy, what does he bring to that format that's different than like Keaton or Chaplin? Because this feels a little later than those like silent era. Yes, yeah, so this is obviously much later. I really wish I had seen more than one of his films before I could say anything about his entire genre. Yeah. His stuff is obviously a little more sexed up than theirs just because censorship differences. Um, the entire film, although there was a narrative overarching structure, still felt very episodic um, to the point where I did not know when the end of the movie was because there was no act structure that I'm used to. So like there was a point where I needed to get up and go pee, but there was literally only 10 minutes of the movie left and I probably could have waited. But how would I know? It could have been another hour for all I could tell. Now that's true in like a progression sense, but I do think that he establishes this like symmetry where like the the carnival comes into town and there's a child skipping behind the carnival looking yeah. at the uh, um what do you call those carousel horses yeah they carousel horses and then when the carnival's leaving uh, the same image as the child skipping behind the carousel horses as it leave town there's been a slight change in the joke there but there's like a symmetry to that and okay, you're right but yeah that's that's just two bookends it doesn't tell me like where I am yeah you couldn't tell that like three minutes earlier but there's like a symmetry to that that I found kind of interesting yeah. But no, I, I don't know how to answer your question, Brandon, because I've only seen one of his films. <laughs> I, I guess what I'm thinking of is like, what's different to me about him is like, he's just such a tall, gangly man. And you don't really see that in these other guys. These like kind of really scrappy kind of like. Yeah, because in any other casting, he very well could have been like the bully or the athletic person. I mean, he was he was very much supposed to be the handsome athletic hunter in Sylvie and the Phantom. He was the romantic figure. He was right. not bumbling in any way. So for him to be like such a big guy and, you know, usually in the comedy, the David of the David and Goliath is the funny one, not the Goliath. Yeah, I kind of picture him like almost as like a pugilist, like that like old fashioned like 20s boxing thing where like put yeah. him up. Like I don't really see him as this like goofball nerd. Yeah, uh, but everyone original... dunks on him so often in the film that it kind of have to buy it. Uh, his original career. I think uh, from what I've read on his Wikipedia was that he was planning on just being a sportsman, like literally just like going to sports clubs and doing sports like fencing and cricket and like soccer. I could see him fencing. That yeah. sounds right. Like, so he was just going to just be a sportsman where he just did sports as a career um, and then later got into acting and comedy. Which almost which... makes it funnier that like these like little old ladies and these like kind of gross carnival folk that are like way shorter and uglier than him are like kind of trolling him. I don't know. It just, like, improves the joke to me that, like, he would be the outcast nerd for, like, not getting the vibe of the room, you know? I mean, he did somehow make himself less attractive than he was in Sylvie and the Phantom. Like, his mm -hmm. hair is kind of stringy and, like, combed very severely off to one side. Like, his mom, like, taught him to do that when he was a kid and he still does it the same way. He's got a very goofy mustache. He's a very goofy mustache. 
and he just like is so disconnected from his body which obviously he's the very opposite of that because he's doing this physical humor but like he's selling it so well it's i don't like know when like teenagers have that growth spurt and they don't know what to do with their limbs quite yet yeah that's that's kind of like the gangliness that he's using for humor which you know again his muscle control is quite good in order to do half of these like stunts yeah, it, I don't know. It's also kind of interesting to me. Like, it's very artsy film in some ways. Like the symmetry of the shots and the symmetry of like, like I said earlier, the the carousel coming in and out yeah. uh, at the bookends. But also, there's like a genuine rake gag in the film. Like he steps on a rake and it hits him in the face, kind of like mm-hmm. sideshow Bob in The Simpsons. It happens several times, like sideshow Bob in The Simpsons, and it feels like at the same time old fashioned. And, you know, smartly, like, up to the times as well. This yeah, is 1949 like, we're talking about. We never said the date earlier, but... Like, one thing this film has that none of the others, you know, prior to it really used was there's a fourth wall break. Uh, there's an elderly woman who is essentially a witch. She cool as fuck. Uh, <laughs> but she she just kind of goes around and, like, talks to the camera about what's going on in the village. And, like, she's kind of talking to herself. So you can't fully tell if she's talking directly to you or she just happens to be looking at you and talking to herself. But, yeah, she's kind of there for part of the film, like, just to get you up to speed on, like, the village and the village life, which is a very, like, unusual element. Also to have, like, this, like, wise crone telling you, like, what what the deal is. Yeah, and because she's an old woman who doesn't sleep very much, she's up earlier than most of the village and asleep later than most of the village, so she kind of has the, like, full report on what everyone's up to every day. So you kind of see, like the uh microcosm of the village like through her eyes in that way where as tati's character is this bumbling fool who has no idea what's going on no he has no clue (laughs) who lives where even he only knows the addresses which is weird like it's such a small village but no he has no clue what's going on in anyone's lives just a weird little character but we both had a lot of really big laughs for this movie, even yeah. though it was like an empty theater. Like, usually you feed off of other people's laughter and comedy. We really didn't have that advantage, but we still laughed a lot and found a lot of humor in it. And us and that, you know, 10-year-old kid got like the biggest laughs in the yeah, crowd, no, I would I, say. I, honestly, I did have to abandon the idea of feeding off everyone else's laughter because I knew there was not enough people. So, like, I was like kind of purposely laughing sometimes just to see if I could maybe get like... <laughs> Jumpstart the crowd. The other two or three people to maybe enjoy Loosen themselves. Up. It was good though. I was, I, I was purposely having fun. Where would you want to see more of his career? Want to see some Mon Uncle films or? Yeah, I, I guess I need to see Monsieur like Hulot? Is that yeah, right? Monsieur Yeah, Monsieur Hulot. Like I need to like see like you know that one where he goes to the beach. What's that sci-fi film that was kind of in the future? That looked pretty interesting oh, too. Oh, I can't remember the name of you know off the top of my about, head. Though. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> it, it, he built a beautiful set for it, and it bankrupted his movie studio, and he didn't really make anything else after that. Yeah, I want to see that. Fun times, <laughs> fun times. We did see one more French-related uh, film in the theater recently. Mm-hmm. We uh, did. It was for its 20th anniversary. Makes me feel old. It's a um, soft remake of the uh, 1988 film. Dangerous Liaisons. Le Liaison Dangereuse. Which is a hundreds of years old play and novel and remade in 1999 as Cruel Intentions. Woo-wee! <laughs> Starring Reese Witherspoon and Ryan Philippe. I did pull a fun magic trick when we were at Target yesterday where I said I was going to go pick up a Dan- Cruel Intentions t-shirt from the uh, t-shirt pile. And I said, whatever, no you're not. They're not going to have that. We just watched that like a couple weeks ago. You're not going to find that. Yeah, they had uh, Cruel Intentions t-shirts at Target the other day. (laughs) And he bought one. He insisted. I was like, Brandon, just because you like pulled this heist off successfully does not mean you then need to go buy the thing you found. Well, what's hilarious about it is that Cruel Intentions 
should not be a millennial touchstone, right? No, no, millennials are really too young for it. I mean, I mean, like it came out in '99. It was 11 when it came out, or something close to that. So, uh, but then I watched it when I was a teen, and I am a millennial. So, like, it was like the dangerous movie. I wasn't supposed to watch that. It was too sexy. It was a film I watched repeatedly on VHS. I did not see it in the theater when it first came out. Oh no. But it, you know, came around the same time that I had that placebo album that had mm-hmm. songs in the soundtrack. Oh, and yes. I had a huge crush on Sarah Michelle Geller in the film. And Did she send you a headshot? No, I used to write letters to um, actors and get those, like, headshots. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, she sent me a headshot. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, it was one of those, like, form letters. Who knows if she actually signed it or if it was, like, stamped. She definitely stamped. Did not. Yeah. No, but... I think you should still do that, honestly. Right. I think that's just a cool hobby. And I was very proud when the headshot came in. It was her with her um, brunette hair from Cruel Intentions and not her with the buffy hair. Like, that was very important to me for some reason at the time. (laughs) I think probably because you're like, brunettes are more intellectual and you're a little snob. I just wanted more Cruel Intentions uh, in my life. (laughs) Or that. So, this movie is trash. Oh, absolutely. Oh, God, yes. Yet... It was re-released in the, the theaters for its 20th anniversary. We saw it at a Megaplex at the AMC on the big screen. Yeah, it was it was like in the Dolby or something big. It was in one of the bigger rooms. Not that many more people than were at the uh, Jacques Tati film, to be honest. Whatever. Maybe twice the crowd. <laughs> I honestly did not even... I don't remember the crowd from Cruel Intentions at all. Oh, you don't remember the teenagers oh, in the yeah, back? Oh, yeah, there was teenagers <laughs> in the very back row, and they were high as fuck. They obviously had never seen the film before. No, it was not a cultural touchstone for them because they're Gen Z. And they were kind of shouting and like live tweeting vocally the uh, film, which was fine because it allowed us to sing along with these songs on the soundtrack uh, Mm -hmm. from people like Marcy's Playground and Mm -hmm. uh, Classic Counting Crows, Counting Crows, Placebo. What's the big song at the end? Oh, uh, Bittersweet, Bittersweet Symphony, Symphony. whatever that band is. The Verve. That's right. I gotta say, this movie holds up very well in it's a, a good trash movie. sense. It's, I mean, it's a, it's a trashter piece. Yeah. But, like, it's well-made. The production values are good. The acting is relatively good. There's not really anybody who's, like, bad, bad in it. Uh, and then there's a few, like, really gem comedic bits. All of them are from Semmel Blair. <laughs> or Christine Baranski. Uh, Christine Baranski's good as Semmel Blair's mom. But Semmel Blair is putting in a performance that I feel like is, like, 10 grades above everyone else in the film. Every physical movement and line delivery she has is over the top camp in the exact tone that you want. And it sort of keeps everyone else in line. Uh, She plays this like naive outsider who I don't want to get too much into the uh, sexual politics because they have not aged well at all. No, she's supposed to be playing like a high school freshman, which means she's supposed to be like 14 or 15. Which, that discomfort is offset by everyone in the film obviously being in, like, their late 20s to early 30s. Yeah, like, I mean, like, she is in her early 20s when she is doing this part. Sarah Michelle Gellar's in her early 20s. Ryan Phillippe's in his early 20s. Reese Witherspoon's in her early 20s. They're they are obviously not children. And Sarah Michelle Gellar and um, Ryan Phillippe have this, like, bet about, like, stripping a couple high and mighty virgins of their virginity before they're married. Uh, and Semmel Blair is one of them. But there's just something about her naive 
enthusiasm about you know entering this adult sexual world like it's a secret society she's pretty much interested in whatever everyone else says is interesting so if they say the virginity is interesting she's all gung-ho about it if they say sex is interesting she's like heck yeah getting boned and i'd say like her and ryan Phillippe are like the center of the film right and ryan Phillippe is like the emotional center and she's more like a comedic center yeah but we went back and rewatched Dangerous Liaisons from 1988, mm-hmm. which did not get its like 30th anniversary of like hubbub last year the way this one's getting its hubbub. And it really should have. I mean, that one was like an Oscar-nominated film in like several categories. And Cruel Intentions, you could kind of pass it off as like, oh, there are two adaptations of the same property. That movie is a straight-up remake of Dangerous Liaisons, which I just did not know because I had never seen it yeah, before. Yeah, I mean, like, Dangerous Liaisons is, like, old people wearing costumes. <laughs> Come on, we watch a lot of costume dramas. And, like, Cruel Intentions is, like, young, hot people wearing nifty fashions. First off, Ryan Phillippe is doing a straight-up John Malkovich impersonation. Exact. Like, line for line, pretty much. He's good at it. The same intonation, the same inflection, the same, like... I'm so world-weary. Oh, dear. However am I going to get through my day without more cocaine? He's just so fucking brilliant at it. But, like, it's weird seeing, you know, John Malkovich, who, you know, is, like, middle-aged or so, like, doing this world-weary thing, which makes sense. He was essentially having, like, a midlife crisis. But then Ryan Phillippe is, like, ostensibly a teenager doing the exact same, like, shtick. I thought he was just world weary and sexy, but now I just know that he was just pretending to be middle aged and in a midlife crisis. Also, as funny as Summer Blair is, she's filling the same role that Keanu Reeves filled in the other film. In Cruel Intentions, there's a cello teacher that is like in love with the younger target, which would be Summer Blair. In Dangerous Liaisons, Keanu Reeves more or less plays that, like, dummy role. The young virginal girl in Dangerous Liaisons isn't really that important. And that's played by Uma Thurman. Yes. But in um, Dangerous Liaisons, the naive, young, enthusiastic character that is funny in every single line and physical movement is Keanu Reeves. Oh, and he's so fucking funny. He's, like, really jazzed up about opera. And, like, cries and bawls publicly every time they all go to see an opera together. And he's just like, yes, I would love to, like, marry that girl who is a virgin. Yeah. And just like, oh. I mean, he's basically Ted Theodore Logan. That's just, like, out of place in time in this costume Yeah, drama. no, he, like, Ted Theodore Logan went back in time on accident. And now he's, like, stuck, like, being a cello teacher. But this is, like, how he's going to train for Wild Stallions so that they can make the best song in the world. By, you know, just him becoming, like, a really gung-ho opera teacher. Okay, I gotta kind of admit, Dangerous Liaisons, it's a better movie. Oh, yeah, sure. If I had seen that one as an adult in the late 80s and then seen Cruel Intentions 10 years later, I probably would not think as highly of the uh, second iteration. There's a really great... Glenn Close is, is Sarah Michelle Gellar's character, and she is so fucking good. That should have been her Oscar... She really should have gotten an Oscar. And now for that, that she hasn't gotten it, I don't want her to get it for anything. Nope. <laughs> Not for the wife, anyway. Not for the wife. There's a lot of dialogue that was cut from Cruel Intentions from Sarah Michelle Geller's character. And Glenn Close has all of these great speeches about how the reason why I'm a stone cold cunt bitch and I destroy the lives of women and men is because 
I know what world I live in. I know I live in a world where if I marry somebody, he can take away my money and lock me in a room. I know that if I ever step out of bounds and get caught for it, I can be sent off to a nunnery. I know that I am the weaker sex as far as my like rights go as a human being. So fuck all of you. I will destroy whoever I please until I can't anymore. I think that film and that performance like benefits from the costume drama setting. Like there's something really perverse about her saying these like feminist things and like exuding all this power over these men through and just saying vulgar sexual oh, yeah. things while wearing these beautiful coiffed costumes and there's characters peeping through keyholes and like i don't know the setting really exaggerates the like sexual perversion that's on top of it whereas cruel intentions when you age it up and like give it this like uh modern setting the sexuality is not as shocking yeah teenagers do stupid fucked up things to one another that's just what they do but I do like that Cruel Intentions is about this like Upper East Side New Yorker set. Mm-hmm. So it's basically about how rich people are perverts. Yeah. And it's just true. Rich people are perverts. All iterations of this film or book or play are just about how rich people are perverts. And that's just true across time. Totally true. One of the weirder things I did not know that Cruel Intentions added to the uh, Liaisons de Giroux formula was that there was no incest in the play until... No, Cruel Intentions like, just added it for no reason. Yeah, because uh, Glenn Close and John Malkovich's characters, they're the ones who have the bet going. They're not related to each other. They're He's, ex-lovers. He, they're ex-lovers, but they're not related to each other in any way. Glenn Close is just like kind of pissed at him because he dumped her, and he's just bored with life. That's essentially their whole relationship. And then even in Cruel Intentions, it's like light incest. They're like siblings by marriage or something yeah they're step siblings they're not related by blood at all they just you know want to freak their parents out there's definitely some incest kink in there though Mm -hmm. i I like the idea that they're trying to age up or like modernize they're technically aging down well yeah they're modernizing the appeal of the original movie but what they're doing is like there were all these like shakespeare adaptations around the time like clueless Mm -hmm. and 10 things i hate about you this is not shakespeare and oh i'm sorry you're right but like literary uh teen dramas yeah pretty much they're taking old ugly people like costume dramas and making them sexy except all of the like sexy versions are better like because clueless is emma by jane austen Mm -hmm. and it's just better and i'm sorry it just is it's better Ten things i hate about you was taming of the true yes and O was Othello. Mm-hmm. There were a few of these like teen romance. Carmen, a hip hop restaurant. So they do that. They also add like homosexuality and like racial politics and like drug use and all these Ugh. things. They do uh, the homosexuality and race politics very poorly and yeah. cruel intentions. It does not age well. But at least those decisions make sense. Yeah. Like adding incest to that to like appeal to a modern audience is a little odd. <laughs> <laughs> you know, those sexy rich kids, they'll do anything. Yeah. I don't know. They've run out of things that shock us. That's true. Yeah, maybe maybe that was to add a little edge to it. Yeah, because two middle-aged people who are, like, running schemes on the people around them and, like, you know, trying to bed one another isn't shocking. And teenagers doing that same thing is also not shocking. So if they wanted this to have any shock value without going close, like, giving these speeches about, like, fuck you... I hate everyone. I'm going to kill all of you. Like, they needed something shocking. Because really, her scenes are the only, like, really shocking things. Like, as far as, like, high, like, political stakes. Okay, so that stood out to me. And Mm -hmm. also what stood out to me was that uh, the only, like, 
sex scene in that entire film is like one of the only acts of consensual sex. Yes. There's a you know very emotional sex scene between Ryan Phillippe and Reese Witherspoon. Reese Witherspoon. And most of the film is about scheming and tricking people into sex. And it's got this kind of like light kink sexual perversion to the whole affair but you don't see a lot of on-screen sex no and there is some coerced sex like with alcohol involved being like well you promised you would do this thing you don't want to like be someone who doesn't keep their promises and you know just more or less like tricking someone who shouldn't be having sex into having sex it does not hold up the 2019 um, standards of consent no but in dangerous liaisons it's actually like assault really right Um, so they took out any depiction of actual assault and made it more coercive which still not good guys but slightly better and that but then they did choose to never show any of the coercion or coercive sex they only showed truly consenting loving sex which you know that's a bold choice and honestly the scene that still works it's set to a very tender counting crows song but when that song hits i feel it mm-hmm. really yeah i do i really do single tear i enjoyed all three of these movies i'm glad i saw all of them in the theater mm-hmm. could you pick out a favorite like if someone had to go visit Jour de Fete, Cruel Intentions, or... I mean, I'm going to say Cruel Intentions because here I am, little possum, sitting on a trash pile. (laughs) It is the trashiest out of the three. It's definitely the trashiest, but I enjoy the fuck out of that film. I cry, I laugh, I sing along to all the songs. Like, I fucking love that movie. But, you know, High Life is the one that needs your money because High Life was directed by a woman. High Life, you know, really needs these dollars as votes so that weird ass sci-fi film starring Robert Pattinson trying to be a dad in space get made. So I would definitely, if you're looking for something to watch, go watch High Life. But you know, my favorite one is Cruel Intentions. I agree with everything you just said. So. Okay, well, that's there very we go. tidy. <laughs> so tidy. Uh, I guess uh, that's the end of the podcast. <laughs> it is, and um, we'll be back in the next week with a regular episode, and yeah. maybe the week after that we'll continue another one of these theatrical reports. I'd like to keep this, you know, a weekly show from now on. It would be great. Yeah, no, a little, little half episode, little little baby episode. Wait, wait. And if you subscribe to the podcast feed, but you don't regularly look at the blog, we do a daily post. Mm-hmm. Whether it's a podcast episode or it's a what's playing in New Orleans this week or a movie review or something, we always have one post every day that's new. So check out the website. Yeah. And as of this week, the website is ad free. <gasps> wow. You need ad blockers to look at it and not be hideous. It is now completely ad free. Beautiful. It makes me feel better. I was tired of looking at the ads. They were gross. We paid extra for that, guys. So show us the love by subscribing to us on iTunes, by giving us five-star reviews. We haven't gotten a review in two years, so that oh, would be okay. amazing. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, please. Please. <laughs> could you just send us some reviews? We would love some reviews. And yeah, no, if you have any questions, email us. We love hearing from you guys. And otherwise, we'll see you in a week. Yeah, see y'all in a week. Bye, everybody. Bye. First it felt icky, and then it was sort of okay. And then, then I started getting really hot, and then I started shaking. And then it, I don't know, it was weird. It just felt like an explosion, but a good one.